How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hi, it's David Locke, host of Locked on NBA and founder of the Locked on Podcast Network. Number two of our season previews. I love these. Each of our hosts, the local experts on your teams with their daily podcasts on your favorite NBA team, have been asked six, seven questions about their team, and they'll give you the breakdown from the local expert opinion. They know their team better than anyone. That's what makes the Lockdown Podcast Network so fabulous is their expertise, and they're going to give it to you on Western Conference teams, Dallas, Denver, the Lakers and Clippers, as well as the Rockets, and finally, the Memphis Grizzlies. Make sure you have subscribed to your local podcast, your team's favorite podcast, as well as this one, Locked on NBA. All right, let's get it rolling. We'll have Eastern Conference Part 2 and Western Conference Part 2 next week. If you missed Eastern Conference Part 1, it's up on the feed. So let's get rolling. It's Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Western Conference preview number one, of course, brought to you by SeatGeek, also today by Warby Parker. Thanks for their sponsorship. SeatGeek is our title sponsor of these programs. SeatGeek's been wonderful to us, and we hope you will support them as well. Please download the SeatGeek app. Find out why they're the best way to get tickets, and the answer is because, first off, they compile all of the tickets from everywhere around in one spot for you on your phone. And then I love the ticket score. Tells me which spot in the arena gets me the best value. And finally, they're to my phone and secure. With the promo code LOCKED, you get $20 back on your first purchase. So that is why I would tell you to download the SeatGeek app. All the tickets in one place. The ticket score, which is proprietary to SeatGeek and gives you the best experience. And then it's secure and on your phone. And the added bonus, by listening to this podcast and downloading the promo code, the, the app, and then putting in the promo code LOCK, you get $20 back on your first purchase. SeatGeek is what I'm using to get all my seats these days. No longer to the ticket broker. You can do the same. All right, I've asked my guys, my friends, my buddies, the hosts of all these great Locked On Podcast Network to answer questions for us about their team and give us the preview. These guys are on top of their team, know them better than others. When the big stories are breaking, you want to go to the Lockdown Podcast Network to get the local angles, and that's going to give you the previews here. Let's start it off with the Dallas Mavericks, a brand new world for Mark Cuban's uh, group. Nick and Isaac do a great job with Lockdown Mavericks, and they give us the look. All right, and here over on the Mavericks side, my name is Nick Angstead, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the editor of Smoking Cuban. What you got for me, Isaac? Nick, what I have for you is Dennis Smith Jr., arguably the biggest storyline of the Dallas Mavericks. The biggest storyline of the Dallas Mavericks uh, until this summer, <laughs> until later this summer, when Nerlens Noel took over with his off weird offseason, you know, Firing Happy Walters, hiring Rich Paul, becoming a story, being a restricted free agent, you know, taking forever to sign, then eventually just taking the qualifying offer. It was really weird, and we didn't really expect it, did we? No, we didn't. We didn't expect it at all. A lot of us thought that they would get something done quick, um, but that all became public later on in the off season. And now, you know, to add to the storyline, Rick Carlisle says he's going to come off the bench at the beginning of the year. So. He's going to be benched. Dirk's going to be at the five. And how does that play into the future and their relationship? We'll see. Nerland's, I asked Nerland's the other day, what's, you know, how does he feel about it? He says, I'll do whatever they want me to do. It's a really big storyline, and we'll be talking about it more, talking about the ripple effect, because it has a trickle-down effect throughout the rest of the roster and the rest of the, you know, the minutes. So what needs to happen for the best-case scenario for this team? Dennis Smith Jr. would have to be awesome coming right out the gate. I mean, the best-case scenario for this team is that they make the playoffs. That's a goal that Harrison Barnes at Media Day said that he really thinks that this team can accomplish. And they can't really do that without Dennis Smith being you know, rookie of the year level and maybe even better than that. Dennis was voted by his peers in the rookie class to be the rookie of the year. It's something we asked him about at his uh, press conference, his introductory <laughs> press conference. And, and he, he, uh, he voted for somebody else besides himself. Yeah. He, 
yeah, he did. So uh, he believes it is a goal. Uh, he's going to get every opportunity in Dallas. The reins of the offense is is going to be his. So um, we'll see. Dennis, he has it. He has all the tools. He has all the athleticism in the world. So we'll just see how he runs it in Rick's offense. And he thinks that Harry Giles is going to be the rookie of the year. Very interesting. Very interesting pick for the rookie of the year. That's who we voted for. The worst case scenario for this team is interesting because if the team bottoms out as they did in the second half of last season, and in the beginning of the season, they started three and 13 last year with a lot of injuries and things. But if we're not taking injuries into account, which normally we try to do, we try to not take injuries into account when we're projecting and, you know, picking things. But with this team, worst case scenario would be the ninth or 10th seed. You know, in the West, you know, they're right on the verge of a playoffs. They're, they're three games or so out of the playoff race. And Dennis Smith Jr. is awful. Let's say, you know, Seth steps up. Seth Curry becomes, you know, uh, takes the next step in his trajectory. He's part of the 50-40-90 club, averages close to, you know, 18 points a game or so, becomes, you know, a really, really good player for them. Dennis Smith Jr. Doesn't, isn't as good as we think he's going to be. And the team is on the verge. And Nerlens is good. And then Nerlens plays himself out of Dallas. Seth plays himself out of Dallas. Those are both free agents this summer. Uh, just all those things would have to happen. Dirk would have to fall off to to an extent that uh, he hasn't already you know, fallen off from, from how great he was during his career. So just all of those factors would have to, to come into play for this to be a terrible like worst-case scenario. Because if they bottom out, they get a good draft pick. They have their pick for next year. Yeah, I can't. I don't even want to think about what the worst case scenario is, Nick. I can't I can't talk about it. <laughs> the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season is we had an answer and then all of a sudden after media day it became Nerlens Noel because you know people were Nerlens Noel seemed like an underrated center, you know, going into this season, he seemed like a guy that would have a bounce back season, you know, people were were excited about him, they were really high on him. But then he got benched, and then you think about it's not just that he's getting benched; it's that he's getting benched compounded with the fact that he didn't get an offer this summer, and that he the trade for him last season around the trade deadline was not good. Yeah, I mean, it was like Justin Anderson, Bogut, and a few second rounders really surprised some people. A lot of people thought it was a steal for Dallas, and the way the summer was going, you're like, man, Dallas is really going to get Nerlens for like ten million a year or fifteen or something like that. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, that obviously wasn't the case. So, you know, this whole mindset of we thought Nerlens was going to come in and be the starting center and get thirty minutes a game and average this big double double and just kill it for the Mavericks this year and have this big contract next year. Now all of a sudden it's like, whoa! Like now he's going to be coming off the bench. And how how does that affect him? You know, how is that how is he going to be looked at differently at the end of the year if he's still coming off the bench? And will other teams view him as that or a potential starter? That's a player that we think people are going to be down on. You know, the trajectory is kind of going down at that point for him. People will think less of him sort of at the the end of the season than the beginning. But a player we think that is sort of a sleeper that, that people will look at as higher when at the end of the season is Wes Matthews. I mean, he he's probably at his lowest point right now besides being undrafted. <laughs> I think being undrafted is, you know, at his lowest point almost in his career, but then, you know, he was a really good player, then he gets signed to that contract, they get the the money gets upped by, you know, the DeAndre Jordan situation, that whole saga emoji gate. And so he gets more money. So right now the contract does not look as good as it probably would have if he just signed the initial and stayed at the initial dollar amount. So that gets into play. But we think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be really good for Wes. Yeah, it's just the people around Wes. Wes is a, a 3 and D guy, and we got to get him back being that 3 guy. So he's going to have Dennis. Dennis is way better at penetrating the lane than Darren Williams uh, ever was uh, last year. So... Now he gets the you know potentially more open shots, and we Nick and I both think that Wes's numbers is going to be probably the best that he's had in Dallas. Yeah, Dennis Smith Jr. It, the ripple effect from him is going to be you know great and felt throughout the team. He's the rookie that is obviously going to have the most impact, but we also want you guys to to look out for Maxi Kleber. He's a guy coming over from Germany from the same hometown as Dirk. He's a sort of a stretch four kind of guy. And uh, we think he's also going to have an impact. Hopefully, make the roster, maybe take that other two-way spot. But we think he'll still be on the around on the roster and give Dwight Powell a run for his money. Our best guess at how the season ends probably still in the lottery. Uh, I think that they'll, they'll probably be the you know twelfth best team, eleventh best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, uh, how the, how the season ends, 
we both picked Dennis Smith Jr. to be our rookie of the year. It's not just a bias thing, but I think he will win the award. We know think, things. <laughs> uh, I think Dirk will have another solid season, his 20th season in the league. But uh, it's just having enough to compete in the stacked up West. And I think I think I have him a few notches higher than Nick, but at 10th or 11th in the West, and that's no disrespect to him, but we'll see. It should be a fun season in Dallas, soaking up one of Dirk's last years and seeing the new energetic um, guy in Dennis Smith Jr., uh, but it might not result in the most wins. Dirk needs 1,159 points to pass Wilt Chamberlain as the uh, fifth highest um, all-time scoring. If he plays 75 games and averages 15.5 points, he will do that. We don't think that's going to necessarily happen, but just keep that in your sights. Thanks so much for listening to Lockdown Mavs, and we'll send it back to David. Nick and Isaac, I'd have to agree. I think it's going to be tough for Dirk to hit that number, though. Until last year, he has been uh, really consistent and being out on the floor, but I still think that's going to be a lot. You know a Rick Carlisle team is going to have that team overperform what everybody else thinks is going to be exciting times in Dallas with a new energy to who they are. On each of these previews, we also give you the fantasy angle. NBA changed up their fantasy game. Uh, they just announced that today for you. So they have a really good new fantasy game at NBA.com. When you want to know the latest on what to do with fantasy, you go to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Josh Lloyd is the host of that, and he gives us a quick snippet on what to do with the Mavericks players. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here to give you a quick fantasy rundown on the Dallas Mavericks. Nerlens Noel has the potential to be their best fantasy player. But the fact that he's uh, likely coming off the bench does limit his upside, but I do like him as a late-round pick. Same as Dennis Smith, although rookie point guards do tend to struggle and his efficiency might hurt you, he does have the ability to be a top 60 player this year. Whereas a guy like Harrison Barnes, I think he's being significantly overvalued in drafts. He's being drafted as if he's going to be a 20 or 25 spot better player than what he was last season. I think with the infusion of talent this season, his usage may drop and he won't be able to put up the same sort of numbers he put up, especially in the first half of last season. I'm also really intrigued with Seth Curry as a late pick, given that he is likely going to be starting and that mix of high field goal percentage and high three-pointers is often quite hard to find. Thank you very much, Josh. That's Josh Lloyd, Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Subscribe to that podcast as well. That new NBA.com game I talked about looks like it's a lot of fun. All right, from Dallas, who's gone through a lot of changes, to Denver, who put the accelerator down in the offseason after an incredible close, offensively at least, to the end of the previous season. Paul Millsap is now there. Uh, Adam Matas does amazing work with Locked On Nuggets. It's one of my favorite shows. I listen to it all the time just to get thoughts on the NBA, regardless of what's going on with the Nuggets. So add it to your list, and let's hear from Adam about what he thinks about the Nuggets and how they look for the seventeen eighteen campaign. Hey everyone, it's Adam Matas from Locked On Nuggets and site manager of DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. You can check us out for any Nuggets news you need. I'm here to give you a preview of the Denver Nuggets season. The first major storyline entering uh, the season for the Nuggets is the addition of Paul Millsap. Millsap is probably the biggest free agent signing the Nuggets have had in 20 years, possibly ever, uh, four-time All-Star, and I think a perfect fit, at least on paper, a perfect fit for what the roster needed. He's a veteran. Uh, he brings a really interesting skill set that paired alongside Nikola Jokic should work out really nicely to provide some outside shooting, post presence, passing, and really give the Nuggets a dynamic front court. And obviously, most important of all, some defense, which brings us to the second most important storyline of the season, and that is, can the, the Nuggets' defense improve? The storyline for them last season was that after December 15th, when Nikola Jokic became the starter and the Nuggets played through him, the Nuggets had the best offense in the NBA for four straight months and the worst defense in the NBA over that same period of time. The question now will not so much can they maintain their offense because I think they're pretty set to be a top 10, maybe top 5 offense on the whole this season, but can they improve their defense to be in the top 20, maybe even top 15? If they can do that, I think they'll be a playoff team. And that is the best case scenario for them is that Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap mesh very, very well right off of the bat. 
a lot of times, especially when you have unique players, that's uh, there's an adjustment period. And I think how long it takes Jokic and Millsap to adjust and what impact Millsap has on the offense. Uh, the Nuggets offense really couldn't get any better. So if they have to take a step back in that regard, I think it could create some stumbling blocks early on. So how quickly they can mesh is going to be a big factor in, in the Nuggets reaching their best case scenario. I think they need to find a, a a point guard in either Emmanuel Moutier or Jamal Murray. Jameer Nelson has been kind of a safety net for Coach Malone last season. I think the Nuggets are hoping that one of those two guys, if not both of them, can break into real meaningful part of the rotation, whether a starter or off the bench. One of those guys, I think the Nuggets would love to play 25, 30, maybe even 32 minutes per game. But in order to do that, one of them is going to have to make a leap off of last season. Moutier is now in his third year, and the first two have been a bit disappointing, uh, turnover-prone and a poor outside shot. Jamal Murray last year, more of a combo guard than a point guard, and didn't, didn't get a chance to play a ton of point guard, but I think the Nuggets are going to try to at least play him at point early on in the season. They're going to rely on one of those guys to, to make a big leap. And then the team improving de- defensively. If they can be a top 20 or top 15 defense, I think they're, it's almost certain that the Nuggets will be uh, – a six, seven, or eight seed and on the rise across the NBA. The worst case scenario is that the Nuggets do not find a point guard and they're in the same situation from the point guard position that they were last year and that they will start Jameer Nelson and have an unreliable point guard behind him. Jameer, at this age and this stage of his career, not not an elite point guard by any means and not athletic or tall enough to really challenge some of your faster, stronger, taller, younger point guards in the league. So relying on him to play 30, 32 minutes a game would would probably be a, a crutch for this team. And then the offense takes a step back. They were so consistent for four months last season that I really think that they had something special. But does the loss of Danilo Gallinari and the addition of Paul Millsap cause them to take a step back offensively? Uh, that'll be a big question. And then lastly, health for all teams is an important thing, but I think with Wilson Chandler's health history uh, and how important he is on this team, really the only natural shooting uh, small forward, Wancho Hernan Gomez will back him up, but Wancho's more of a, a combo forward than a true small forward. So if Wilson has uh, unfortunate uh, injuries or, or gets injured early in the season, I think the Nuggets will be scrambling to fill that position. The player that's most likely to be thought of differently by the end of the season is Gary Harris. He had a phenomenal season last year, shooting 42% from uh, behind the arc. And I think he's kind of become on a lot of people's radars. He's landed on a lot of people's radars as a great two-way wing. I think this is the year that he really has a breakout year and possibly even uh, is mentioned as as the third wheel on this Nuggets big three with Millsap, Jokic, and then him. He's a consistent player that gives uh, kind of the same production every single night, and he started to add some playmaking uh, with the ball in his hands towards the end of last season. So elite shooter, solid on-ball defender, and if he can add a little playmaking, I think... Uh, uh, I think he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to covet next next summer. Player whose career will be most impacted by this year is Emmanuel Moutier. There's no question about it. This is a pivotal year for him. Uh, the first two years have been a little bit underwhelming for a player that was drafted seventh, but he does have a lot of tools and a lot of promise. He's right there on that edge of uh, of where maybe teams start to lose a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope in him. If he has another disappointing season or even a disappointing start to the season, it might mark the end of his time in Denver and it might uh, put him more on the comeback trail than, than you know, uh, his his time in the NBA, I think, will be uh, a little bit more in doubt. So this is a big year for him, and I think he's the one that's most uh, going to be affected by it. There are the Nuggets do have uh, a couple of rookies on their roster: Tyler Lydon, who was taken twenty fourth overall out of Syracuse; Monte Morris in the second round, um, uh, a point guard out of Iowa State. I don't think either of them will be in the rotation and will likely be spending most of their time in the D League. My best guess is to how this season ends. I think that the Nuggets are going to be the seventh seed in the Western Conference. I think they'll have their ups and downs early, but I think as the season goes on, this young team that's grown for the last the last three seasons have all been seasons of progress. I think this is the year they get over the hump. And while I don't think that they're going to challenge any of the the West's uh, upper tier teams like Oklahoma City, Houston, San Antonio, and Golden State, 
I do think that by the end of the year around the league, their reputation will be uh, right there amongst all the other teams that are considered next. Your Minnesotas and Milwaukee's and teams like that. I think Denver's right there on the cusp of, of being one of those teams. And by the end of the year, they'll be looked at, at as one of those teams around the league. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check out Locked On Nuggets and Denver Stiffs for all of your Nuggets coverage. A lot of optimism from Adam, rightfully so, though I'm interested in this team. No point guard. Emmanuel Moutier had one of the worst offensive seasons of anyone last year. We'll see if Jamal Murray's a point guard. That's got to get straightened out. Both those guys were below average possession users last year. Murray, I wouldn't worry too much in the sense he was a rookie, and almost all rookies are. And then part two of this is Paul Millsap. So using the pack rating, which takes the amount of possessions you use and then compares how you use it compared to the league average and then whether you are above or below the league average. Last year, Danilo Gallinari really is one of the most offensively efficient players in the league. So Denver's losing a guy who last year, and he did not play a huge amount of games. I mean, he's still always injured, but his 34 minutes a night, when Gallinari is out on the floor, he's using about 15 scoring opportunities, and he's scoring two points more than the average player in the league is. Well, if you're going to translate those 15 possessions over to Paul Millsap, who last year used 17, Paul was .4 points below what the average player in the leagues would do, or if you disperse those across. That's a 2.4 point per game difference. That's really significant. And the concern on Millsap a little bit is that whether or not it was Dwight Howard last year in Atlanta and the loss of Al Horford and maybe Jokic picks it up is that his production has slipped considerably in each of the last few years. His age is getting to that number where it can be a little disconcerting. It's going to be really interesting to see Millsap in the 14-15 season had a 1.0 pack. So in his 15 scoring opportunities, he was one point better than the league average. The next year in those same 15, he dropped to a .4. And last year, Paul Millsap dropped to a negative .4. Was it just the makeup of the team, or is this the beginning of an aging process for Paul Millsap? And I think that's really interesting for Denver this season. Let's see what Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball has to say about that. Hi, guys. Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Here to talk about the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic, a pretty strong first-round selection in drafts this season. There is, I guess, some concern that Paul Millsap takes away a little bit from him, but I'm not too worried there, as I think Millsap takes most of Danilo Gallinari's usage, and, and Jokic can continue to put up the sort of numbers he put up last season, just hopefully with more minutes over the course of the season. I really love Gary Harris as a middle-round player who's getting drafted almost or just inside the top 100 when he's got the ability to be a top 50 player, as he was for the second half of last season. And I like getting Jamal Murray late as well. Getting a guy like uh, like him there, he's a top 70 type player. We don't know that he's won the starting point guard job yet, but I would put my money that that's the way that it's going to go. So I really like him. There's a ton of value there. Paul Millsap, also a really strong player who should bounce back a little bit from last season, but I wouldn't expect him to get back to his top 20 value that he had a couple of seasons ago in uh in Atlanta, Wilson Chandler, a decent late-round pick. I'm not sure that he's got much upside, whereas guys like uh, Kenneth Fareed and Mason Plumley are getting overdrafted, as we don't expect them to have pretty uh, largely significant roles this season or enough to have an impact in standard fantasy leagues. But tons of value, especially with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray on this team. Before we go to the Lakers and they start tampering upon us and all we're doing, let me tell you about a company, why, in fact, their glasses are sitting right in front of me right now, Warby Parker. They were founded with a little bit of a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal, and they have done it. Collaboration between four close friends who were simply tired of paying overpriced bland eyewear. So now Warby Parker's got the answer for it. Right in front of me, I have Warby Parker glasses. It's all around our house. My daughter's got two pairs. My son's got a pair. My wife's got like three pairs. The website and the retail stores have glasses that start at $95, including prescription lenses. It's just incredible. One of my favorite things is the home try-on. You order five pair of glasses, and you get to try them for five days. No obligation to buy. They ship them free. They include a prepaid return shipping label. You go to warbyparker.com slash locked, and you will get your five 
pair of glasses, five-day try-on. WarbyParker.com slash locked. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses, including anti-glare, including anti-scratch. It's incredible. They've also got an iTunes app at Warby Parker. You can go through the site, still use that same WarbyParker.com slash locked, and get your home try-on. You can share that experience online with everyone. You will be blown away by the quality. You'll be blown away by the selection and the home try-on's fun. And worth noting, a billion people worldwide lack lack access to glasses. So that's 15% of the population. So what does Warby Parker do? They have partnered with Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need. A great company. Make sure you check it out. WarbyParker.com slash locked for your Five pair of glasses, home try-on for five days. Check it out. Now, let's move to the Lakers. Harrison and Anthony, kill it with Locked On Lakers, and here they are. For those of you listening to us for the first time, welcome, first of all. I am Harrison Fagan. Anthony Irwin is also on the line with me, and this is our Locked On NBA season preview, and we're going to answer a couple questions for our boss, David Locke, for his Locked On NBA podcast. Yep. Basically, across the network, all of the shows are answering these questions. So let's start with number one, two or three biggest storylines going into camp. It can be kind of an off-season review. I don't think we necessarily need to go that route. But the number one actual basketball topic is the one that we just talked about, right? Is the one that Lonzo Ball is the Lakers' identity in terms of playing style. And asking a rookie to carry that kind of burden throughout the entire season, 82 games where before this, in terms of organized ball, the most Lonzo has played has been, what, 33 games, I would imagine? I don't know how many games he played over there at UCLA. Rookies tend to wear down a little bit, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers carry that burden once he goes down. What would you say is your your second storyline? It's how do the Lakers draw free agents next summer? I mean, as much as we want to talk about, and I wrote a column about this, the Lakers are going to be fun this year, and you can ignore free agency rumors if you're a Lakers fan, but the big thing hanging over this franchise right now is whether or not they can get LeBron or Paul George or whoever it may be next summer. I think that's the other, that's one. And then I think the third one that's kind of like a mini storyline that's popping up right now is, is Kyle Kuzma the steal of the draft? He's looked really, really good so far in the preseason. He continued to look pretty good tonight and he's looking like a real player, like uh, for, uh, especially for the 27th pick, but he's looking like a lottery pick right now. So in, in, Summer League, he was showing things just in terms of just raw scoring, right? It was shooting off of the catch. It was getting out in transition and running with Lonzo Ball. And then here in the preseason, he's done a little bit more in isolation and getting by guys tonight. I was blown away by his footwork. I didn't know he had that in him. And it's kind of... And he was drawing guys and passing out. Yeah, at times like he he it was advanced stuff. Like he looks really good. He and and what I was going to say is just like. With rookies, no, he's not the typical rookie. He's a little bit older. He's already 22. But with rookies, adding things to your game as your rookie season goes along is pretty freaking impressive. So that's definitely something to to keep an eye on. And it might force the Lakers into moving somebody. They That front court is really crowded, and Kyle Kuzma needs minutes. Yeah, and he may end up playing well enough to force Randall or Nance out, either in a trade or Randall at the end of the season potentially. Although you would you would think the Lakers would try and get an asset for him if they ultimately decided that it was Kuzma's spot going forward. Yeah. Number two, what needs to happen for the best case scenario? I think you should answer this one, and I should answer worst case. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, best case scenario. Lonzo Ball plays 82 games. They get up and down the court like crazy. Brooke Lopez shows everybody how good a player he is, which I think a lot of people have kind of taken for granted, either because of injuries early in his career or because he played on terrible Brooklyn teams for the vast majority of his career. So that's going to be something that needs to happen. And again, Brandon Ingram needs to be what he was after the All-Star break last year. The So far in these first couple preseason games, he did not play on... Tuesday night or Wednesday night, 
he did not play that night, but these two preseason games that he did play, he hasn't looked very good. If he become, if he's more of what we saw in the first half of his season last year and not what we saw in the second half of his season next year, the Lakers are in serious trouble because he is one of two major assets that they have moving forward at the top of the draft. Okay, so we got to start to pick up the pace here, but you got a little bit into my worst-case scenario. Mm -hmm. And so I think worst-case scenario is Lonzo is a big baller bust. He never figures out his shot. He ends up being kind of a worse version of Rajon Rondo. And uh, then I think Brandon Ingram turns out to just be a skinny teenager that tricked everybody into thinking he was good at basketball. And Julius Randle never truly figures out like he has like one good game one night and then like one atrocious game the next night Kyle Kuzma proves to be a mirage and he just wished for like seven games of of, during preseason of effective NBA play to like ride to training camp invites for the rest of his career and got that wish from a genie and I'm trying to think of like what else could go hilariously wrong. Luke like, Walton I don't know, might like, not be like that. The Lakers extend Brooke Lopez to an <laughs> eight-year max deal, followed by him immediately breaking his foot, and then uh, Luol. They also extend Luol Dang to allow him to like just kind of help with the transition into like this next rebuild, so that he can continue to mentor guys well into his forties. Yep. All right, number four. Player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. I don't think we can say Lonzo Ball here because I think people kind of know what he is going to be if he's going to be really good. But it has to be Kyle Kuzma, right? Or or I guess Brooke Lopez for the reasons that I said earlier, but it has to be Kyle Kuzma. I think think nationally it's going to – and this is for national fans. I think nationally it's going to be Kyle Kuzma because a lot of you right now are probably going, who Who are Laker fans like freaking out about right now? Kuzma? (laughs) And he's going to start to get recognized I think by the end of the year. I would would probably say so. All right, number five, player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad. Definitely Randall. Oh, Randall – I kind of – I kind of believe in Randall's talent. But it's Randall because if he plays well this season, the Lakers keep him. If the, he doesn't, then he ends up somewhere else, and who knows what happens at that point. We've seen restricted free agency is a female dog. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on David's podcast, so I'll just <laughs> – restricted free agency is tough. And so, uh, you know, like it, it, that can affect players' careers, and he's going to massively – like it, this year will have a massive impact on his financial fortunes going forward. I would I would agree, except for I believe, like I said, in Julius Randle's talent. I think no so matter where he winds up, I think he'll kind of find his way. I don't necessarily believe in Brandon Ingram's at this point. I think he's really young, and I think it's way too early to to have any serious conclusions on the kid. But but but, but if he, like I said, he was not good the first half of the like historically bad for a number two pick. And if he is that this season, he gets moved in like a salary dump, and and who knows? Okay, all right, yeah, no, come on, man. If you're telling me that if he if he for the entire first half is as bad as he was for the entire first half last season, that that doesn't impact his career trajectory. Well, of course, but that's like that gets back to like worst case scenario stuff. I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm just. I, I think he's somewhere in the middle between he was in the first half of the season and the second half of the season. And it's just a matter of how far, which way that winds up leaning. And I think that, especially for a franchise that moves as quickly as the Lakers do, it appears, that's, you know, that, that puts a lot of pressure on him. All right, next one, number six, rookies who will have an impact and how much? Definitely. That's definitely Lonzo because he is the engine of the Lakers offense <laughs> and it's Kyle Kuzma or as our friend at basketball likes to call him call Kuzma <laughs> because he is going to be the stallion that mounts the world. Amazing. All right. Number seven, your best guess, your best guess on how this season ends. I'll let you I'll let you take this one. I, I I'm all over the place on this season. I have no idea. Yeah, record-wise, I don't really know, and frankly, I don't really care because I don't think it matters. I don't think they're making the playoffs or anything. I think think the best way to say how the season ends, Lonzo Ball is Rookie of the Year. Yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll, I'll roll with that. That was it for our Locked On Lakers, Locked On NBA Network 
season preview. As we said at the top of it, I am Anthony Irwin. That is Harrison Fagan. Thank you to those of you who tune in every day uh, on Audio Boom, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Today's Fast Break, Alexa, and Spotify, and on Lakers Nation, and on Lakers Outsiders. Those of you who are new to the show, we hope you tune in more often. Those guys always have a good time. Locked on Lakers, very popular, great show. All right, let's get to the fantasy value. Laker players often get drafted in fantasy because they're in L.A. and people see them a lot. Are those good decisions? Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball tells us. Hi, guys. Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here here to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Lonzo Ball, I think he's got a chance to be a top 50 player this season, but he's scoring his points in the points category is going to be a concern. Rebounds, assists, steals, I'm all fairly confident in him getting that, but I do get the feeling he might be a little bit overdrafted, which is fairly common for rookies, especially point guards. Julius Randle, another player who's getting overdrafted, he's getting picked inside the top 75, and I think with the addition of Brook Lopez... Andrew Boga, to a lesser degree, and uh, the emergence of Kyle Kuzma, it's going to be hard for Randall to improve significantly on what he did last season. Speaking of Kuzma, a lot of people are really excited. Um, I just don't see him as being a viable fantasy pick just yet. We'll see how it all pans out, but I feel like there's a few too many bodies in front of him. As for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, yeah, I think he's okay towards the end of drafts, and same as Brandon Ingram, who does have significant breakout potential, but... He was one of the worst fantasy players in the entire NBA all of last season, so he'd need a significant leap forward. But when you're looking at those last picks, that's exactly the sort of move you should be making. And Brook Lopez, a strong, solid, high free throw percentage center in those uh, top 50 sort of range. And I think he continues that same sort of form he showed last season for Brooklyn. Josh might have just saved your fantasy draft right there. All right. The Rockets were the first big movers in the offseason with a Chris Ball deal. Ben DuBose covered it top to bottom then. He does it again now for us. The host of Lockdown Rockets gives us the preview of Houston. Hey, guys. Ben DuBose here of Lockdown Rockets. I work with Sports Talk 790 in Houston, the official flagship radio station of the team. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to take you through an overall preview of the 2017-2018 campaign for the Houston Rockets. And as far as the leading themes to watch for, the far and away top item on my agenda is the integration of Chris Paul and James Harden. Yes, the Rockets had a wildly successful offseason. They brought in another top 10 player. They're now the only team in the league, besides the Warriors, that in my opinion has two top 10 players, adding Chris Paul to James Harden. But it's not going to come easy. These are two historically ball-dominant players. Last year, two very traditional point guards in terms of how much they handled the ball and distributed. And now, of course, there is just one basketball. They are going to have to figure out how to play off the ball. And in James Harden's case, that means catch and shoot more, some more backdoor cuts, those types of things. I think both Chris and James are so smart, so cerebral that I think they're going to make it work. But until they figure it out, it is a question. And if the Rockets are actually going to challenge the Warriors, then it doesn't just take having two top 10 players. It takes two top 10 players both firing on all cylinders. So they don't. James and Chris don't just have to click. They have to be absolutely perfect. And so as we start the preseason, and especially the regular season, watching how those two are able to blend their games together is far and away the leading item to watch as the Rockets go through training camp. Second thing on my radar is welcoming back Ryan Anderson. This entire offseason in Houston, it was almost treated as a foregone conclusion that Carmelo Anthony would get traded there. It's obviously what he wanted, the Rockets wanted, and if he had held firm on his list of Houston or nowhere else, then maybe he is here. Ultimately, he blinked before the next day he opened up his trade list to Oklahoma City, and because of that, not only is he not in Houston, but all of a sudden Ryan Anderson, the guy who it seemed had one foot out the door the entire summer, is still staying. Now, so far in camp, he said all the right things. He seems overjoyed to be in Houston. And above all that, he actually seems to be in better shape than last year. He's told us he knows his defensive deficiencies this past year. He's lighter. He's more agile. So he's coming to camp putting more of an emphasis on moving his feet. But we're going to see how well it works very early in the season. The Rockets open up against the Warriors. So certainly his ability to move in space defensively is going to be tested. But that's a leading theme to watch. Are there any chemistry issues from welcoming back not just a player, but a starter a starter making $80 million combined over the next four, uh, well, three years now, four-year contract. I don't anticipate there being, but it's certainly something to watch, but it's pretty rare that you have a trade discussion as heated as this Carmelo Anthony Ryan Anderson was for two and a half months, and then for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. 
Now, for the best case scenario for the happen, which for this team, which is for the Rockets to actually challenge and even beat the Warriors in the playoffs, what needs to happen, and the Rockets have said this all the way up to Mike D'Antoni and Gerald Morey, they need to be a top 10 or even a top 5 defense. They were a top 5 offense all of last year, really top 2 along with the Warriors, and adding Chris Paul to that mix, you know they're going to be great offensively. You have the two superstars in Chris and James. You have shooters, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson. You have defenders, guys like Trevor Ariza, now new additions, uh, P.J. Tucker, Luke Bamute. You've got the defense. They can shoot all those things. But team defense, that's what separates the good from the great. And can the Rockets take that step from being a mediocre defense, middle of the pack like they were last year, to legitimately being top 10, top 5? Because the Rockets have the offense to compete with the Warriors. The question is if they have the defense. Now, they did make some personnel upgrades this offseason. As I said, P.J. Tucker, Luke Bamute. Besides that, you also have some hope for internal growth. Guys like Clint Capella, this is year four for him. Hopefully he takes further steps towards being the kind of defensive anchor that you want from a true chiseled center at this point in his career. But that's what the Rockets need for the best case scenario to happen. For them to challenge the Warriors, they can't just be a great offense. They've got to be a top 10 or even top 5 defense as well. The bar is that high. As far as the worst case scenario, the flip side of that, well, it's what we were saying earlier. It's that for whatever reason, Chris Paul and James Harden just don't click. Because when you're going to challenge the Warriors, you've got to be firing at all cylinders. And it can't even be just a somewhat quality meshing between Chris and James. They have got to be optimal in terms of how they play off one another. Because as good as the Rockets are with two top ten players, yeah, the Warriors have two top ten players as well. And they've also got four top 25 players when you add in Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, in my opinion. The, the, the Warriors have set the bar so high that the margin for error is almost nothing. So for the worst-case scenario to happen, if James and Chris don't click, not only do you not catch the Warriors, but then all of a sudden, because of the condition of the trade, Chris Paul choosing to opt into the final year of his contract, if things don't work out, then all of a sudden you may have to worry about, okay, are the Rockets going to be able to keep Chris Paul next summer? I fully anticipate them to be able to keep him. I don't think that's going to be an issue, but in terms of worst-case scenarios, that is out there on the table. Technically, Chris Paul is only signed for one year. Now, player who's likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season. I'm going to say Chris Paul because I believe in this Rockets team. I think it's going to work out. And I firmly think that he has been overlooked in the eyes of the casual NBA fans over the past couple of years. Because what's happened to the Clippers the last three seasons, well, three years ago, they had a three games to one lead on the Rockets. Basically, you seem destined to go to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. What happens? Well, they blow it, but most notably, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer have the game of their lives to bring the Rockets back from down 19 in Los Angeles. I know the Clippers had other opportunities, but by and large, that's just bad luck. Then the last two years, Blake Griffin out of the playoffs in both years, 2016, both Blake Griffin and Chris Paul himself. Basically, the Clippers didn't just have a few injuries. They had catastrophic injuries to their star players. So for reasons not just related to Chris Paul's play on the basketball floor, the Clippers have not had a chance to really compete at the highest level. And so because of that, because it's been so long since Chris Paul has been on the biggest stage in the playoffs, I think there are a lot of fans around the NBA that have kind of moved on to, you know, shiny, newer toys. Whereas Chris Paul, it's not like his game has declined, it's just been certain circumstances that have kept him off the radar. Well, folks, you add Chris Paul to a team that was already the third best in the West, a 55-win team, I think you feel pretty confident that Chris Paul is going to get some big-time playoff matchups this coming April and May, and I think that's going to put him back on the radar. Player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, to me, it's clearly Clint Capella. That's the big question for the Rockets. They've been looking for this big three in terms of a third all-star to get them truly at that Warriors level. Because the Warriors, as I said, in addition to the top ten players, Durant and Curry, you've got uh, Clay and Draymond on top of it. Well, the Rockets went after Carmelo. I think they were hoping that if they put him in their culture with Chris and James driving the bus, that maybe that would make him that third star. Didn't happen. So they're with the roster they had after the July acquisitions. And in general, the roster has a lot of guys who are fairly static. Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Tucker, Bob Mute, you know who those guys are. Third and A in there as well. They're quality players, but there's not much upside. They are who they are. The one variable they have that's going to play major minutes this year is Clint Capella. Clint Capella, it's year four for him. He continues to get stronger every year. Is this the year that he can take the leap to being not just a good center, but a top 10 center, a true force on both the offense and defense events? He's gotten stronger. He said he's worked on his free throws, all the deficiencies. He works hard. He's great for the pick and roll game. It all sounds great on paper, but we've got to see it. And it starts well in training camp and preseason. He's got some big teams, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, going up against. But you want to see, 
is Clint physical enough? Has he improved his stamina enough to truly be a top 10 player? Because a uh, top 10 center? Because Gerald Murray has said in the past that he thinks that Clint is a can be a borderline all-star. And if he evolves into that, then maybe this team can challenge the Warriors. And it and that's what they need in terms of internal growth. He's by far their best candidate. So in my opinion, if he has a big season on a team that's this good, then there's a real chance by the end of the year we're looking at Clint Capella as a borderline star-level player. Now, the, the backside of a team being this good is that, well, it's very veteran-laden, and so because of that, I don't expect very many rookies to have an impact. The closest thing I could see, Joe Chi, watch the guy out of China. This is his first year coming over. I don't anticipate him to play much. He certainly needs a lot of work in the weight room to get stronger, but he's seven foot two, has a wingspan of 7'7", extremely athletic, cerebral. I don't expect him to play a regular rotation role, but there could be moments when you have a young guy that's athletic, can shoot and has that kind of wingspan and that sort of shot blocking ability, there may be matchups, especially the second half of the season as he continues to get stronger, where he can potentially have an impact. Don't expect a regular rotation role, but as far as Rockets rookies, he's the closest thing there is. They also drafted Isaiah Hartenstein in the in the second round of their draft. He was the only guy they truly brought in in the twenty seventeen draft, but they're fairly loaded at center. Capella and Nene, also Tarek Black is a third stringer. I don't really see a path for Hartenstein. For Joe Chi, he's more of a long power forward type, you could conceivably see his wingspan getting him into the rotation. Well, not a regular rotation ball, but at least getting him minutes here and there, especially if there are maintenance games down the stretch for some of these veterans. Finally, my guess is how this season ends. I think they lose in the Western Conference Finals to the Warriors. I do think they get there, which is a step forward from the 2016-2017 season when they lost in the semis to the Spurs. I think the Rockets have closed the gap substantially on the Spurs in the offseason. The Spurs did not have a great offseason, whereas the Rockets brought in Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, Bamute, Tarek Black. I think the Rockets had a lot more success this offseason. I think they closed that gap. And while the Thunder behind them certainly had a splashy offseason, adding Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, there's a pretty big gap between the Rockets and the Thunder. The Rockets were eight games better last year. They won seven of nine head-to-head meetings, including a four-games-to-one edge in the playoffs. And actually, if you look at the point differential, the Pythagorean, there's actually closer to a 12-game expected difference between the Rockets and the Thunder. So while I do think the Thunder got better and they're going to be a top-four team in the West, I don't think they're going to be as good as the Rockets. I think the Rockets are better than the Thunder and the Spurs. I think that gets them to the Western Conference Finals. But ultimately, the Warriors are just so damn good that unless things click incredibly well, it's going to be tough for the Rockets without a major acquisition to uh, a major acquisition going forward to truly beat the Warriors this season. However, in my opinion, if they get to the Western Conference Finals and at least give the Warriors a little bit of a run, you can say it's a successful year and maybe it puts the Rockets in an even better position next summer to go out and make that final acquisition that can get them over the hump against the Warriors. Well, people may be saying it's all Warriors, but you can feel the rivalries beginning to build there between the Thunder, the Rockets, the Spurs involvement as well. Exciting times in Houston. Ben does a great job on Lockdown Rockets. What do you do with this team fantasy? What about Harden and Chris Paul together? Josh Lloyd lets us know. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here to talk about the Houston Rockets. James Harden was the number one fantasy player last season. I think he can repeat that. He was that much better than everyone apart from Russell Westbrook last season that the addition of Chris Paul, while it will drop his value down and bring him closer to the pack, picking him anywhere inside that top three is a fine decision to make. As for Chris Paul, I think he is a solid end of the first round, second round point guard. Both guys will take a hit to their assist numbers and some of their, their, some of their uh, usage, but they are going to play all 48 minutes with one of those guys on the court in most games. I'm really interested in Clint Capella for this season. To me, he's not an automatic punt free throw guy, but I think he gets his minutes up this season. Could average a double-double. Maybe he can approach two blocks a game. High field goal percentage. Really interested in him, and he could very comfortably be a top 50 player. I'm down on Eric Gordon and Trevor Ariza, especially for their draft positions. I think they're fine if you get them at the appropriate spot, which is around pick 100 or a little bit later, but going any earlier than that is not ideal. While I think Ryan Anderson's a player that I wouldn't want to touch in any standard league drafts and be a guy that I just stream in for his three-pointers on those days that you need them. In regards to the Rockets, looking at them together, Chris Paul and James Harden, I don't think they'll play together that much. So I'm not as worried about that matchup as some other people. And frankly, what they have when I look at them offensively is the perfect collection. They have almost no one who's a negative pack player. Patrick Beverly was negative last year. He's off. Ariza was even. Nene struggled a tiny bit. But they have almost every single one of their players is an above-average possession user. So when you take the ball out of the hands of Chris Paul 
or James Harden, they're still getting an above-average possession offensively. The Warriors likely are the number one team offensively in the NBA, but I don't know if they're not the Rockets. Luke Bamute, people talk about as a non-offensive player, is actually a positive pack player. He's efficient in the few possessions he uses and shot the three last well last year. P.J. Tucker was not as much uh, on their additions, but generally when I look for championship caliber teams, what I look for is a team that has nobody on their roster that uses negative possessions or uses a possession below the league average. Other than P.J. Tucker, the Rockets have established this. It's why I think they'll be the number one offense in the NBA this year, possibly uh, finally surpassing the Golden State Warriors. The Rockets really have it rolling. The Clippers are the team that's without Chris Paul. Lucas Hand does the Locked On Clippers show, and here's what he has to say about the new formed Clippers. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lucas Hand. I'm the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast and the editor of ClipStation.com. You can find me on Twitter at Lucas J. Hand. I think for the Clippers this season, the biggest storylines have to revolve around how much change there was in the offseason. With this team sort of finally getting a new, refreshed look after several years of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan all being together. So the big question is going to be how do all of these new pieces like Patrick Beverly, Milos Teodosic, Daniel Gallinari, how are they going to fit together and then fit with the existing pieces of Blake Griffin, Austin Rivers, and DeAndre Jordan I feel like if this is a team that meshes well, they could have a high upside, but otherwise it, it could be relatively low. One thing to watch is definitely going to be with DeAndre Jordan's free agency upcoming next summer. Do the sides continue working on it on an extension? Or if the Clippers struggle a little bit, do they maybe look to mix up the roster a little bit more and try to move him at the deadline to either create some long-term flexibility or maybe shift around their roster composition and focus some more resources on the perimeter instead of having two max contract guys at power forward and center. Now, I think as far as the best and worst case scenario for the Clippers are, it's a cop-out to say that injuries are going to play a role, but I think maybe for more than any other team in the league, injuries will play a role. With the injury histories that you see with guys like Patrick Beverly, Daniel Gallinari, and Blake Griffin, who are three of the Clippers' four most important players, whether those guys stay on the court or are unable to stay on the court is going to have a big impact on how successful they can be. I think that on paper... This Clippers team is more talented than other teams in that bottom half of the Western Conference playoff picture, like teams like um, Utah, New Orleans, Portland, Memphis. I think this Clippers team has more talent on paper than those teams, but it's going to be a question of how many games can that talent be on the floor. Aside from injuries, though, I think that the best case scenario will have to include a situation where a combination of Teodosic and Gallinari at shooting guard and small forward can be capable defensively because this team's going to struggle with wing defense and they don't really have a lot of options even going to the bench. Austin Rivers is okay. Lou Williams is not a good defender. Sam Decker is not a good defender. Wesley Johnson is not an especially good on-ball defender. So for the Clippers to have their best case scenario, they're going to have to find a way to cobble together a decent defense. I think the worst case scenario will be if the offense, which should have a very upside and be very high-powered, if that offense has some problems, if the pieces don't fit together well and they end up being a mediocre offense instead of an elite one, I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to be a particularly good basketball team. I think there are two players specifically for the Clippers this season who have, who have a big chance to sort of change how they're seen around the league. The first one, I think the obvious one, is Blake Griffin. This is going to be his first time in a long time being... Um, the you know the star player of a team or being the number one star player of a team and so I just think that if he can really prove that he can step up to that level and lead this team to the playoffs and maybe even some success in the playoffs as the best player that will change how he's seen around the NBA the other guy who maybe is a little less talked about is Austin Rivers because Austin Rivers is a guy who we saw the last couple of seasons he's grown in his role with the Clippers he's been a solid backup guard but there's still a lot of skepticism about whether he can really step into a full-time starting role. And this year with the Clippers, he'll have a chance to do that, but he'll also be a part of a more ensemble group of guards with Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and Milos Teodosic, who really, they can all work together, and who necessarily starts at shooting guard isn't so important this year, or he can make that step forward and prove that he can be a quality starter, which could really earn him a lot of money in free agency next summer. So he's a guy who I think really is going to have a chance this year to change his reputation around the league or possibly have another letdown and 
you know, kind of cement his career trajectory as a backup. I think that, that those guys those guys are really guys who might be thought of differently after the season, who their career, career trajectories are definitely going to be impacted by their performance this season. As far as rookies, the Clippers have Jawan Evans and Sindarius Thornwell, who they both drafted in the second round last summer. I don't expect either of them to have a major rotation role, both of them being guards and with the Clippers, as I discussed, having Patrick Beverly, Austin Rivers, Lou Williams, and Milos Teodosic as the obvious front four guards in the rotation. But what I do think is interesting is that the Clippers, Doc Rivers, especially as he's built rosters in the past, doesn't normally put himself in a situation where he's going to have to rely on his rookies. We saw last year they had Bryce Johnson as like a depth option at power forward, and then they went out and signed Brandon Bass also. So that if someone got hurt, they wouldn't need to rely on that rookie. They still had another capable veteran. The Clippers this year don't have that. If one of their guards gets hurt, either Juwan Evans or Sindarius Thornwell is going to be the fourth guard. I think Sindarius is probably a little more equipped to be like solid for 8 or 12 minutes a night right now than Juwan is, even though Juwan probably has the higher long-term upside. So while neither of them will be key rotation pieces for 82 games, the Clippers don't have a lot of other options at guards. I don't think you can put any of their small forwards, you know, Gallinari, Decker, Johnson, none of those guys can really play the two. So if someone gets hurt, Sindarius Thornwell is actually going to have a chance to see some minutes this year. And we're talking about four guards over the course of 82 games. At least someone is going to miss some time. So there will actually be opportunity for at least one of these young guards. I think it'll be Sindarius Thornwell. My best guess on how the season ends for the Clippers this year, I think they'll finish seventh. I think Denver will finish ahead of them and take that sixth seed, but I think the Clippers are better than those other teams that I mentioned earlier on. I think they'll have somewhere in the 46 to 48 win range. Um, and frankly, I'm hoping that the Houston Rockets finish with the number two seed, that we can see Chris Paul versus the Clippers in the first round. I think that that would be a lot of fun. It would also be fun if the Clippers are able to beat someone else in the first round and face the Houston Rockets in the second round with are the Clippers going to make their first Western Conference Finals ever, or is Chris Paul going to make his first Western Conference Finals ever? So I think there's a lot of interesting storylines to track, but I do think that this is a playoff team. And then it's just going to depend on how well this group meshes together, if they're the kind of team that, come the end of the season, we feel like can really make noise in the playoffs against one of the better teams in the West, or is just a fun, exciting regular season team that's probably going to go out in maybe five games in the first round. A first round exit for the Clippers, says Lucas. Thank you very much for the time. These local experts on the big stories, on their teams, these guys are just fabulous. Know them so, so well. What do you do with this team from a fantasy standpoint? Some different pieces going to be used in different ways. Here's what Josh has to say. Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd here from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm pretty big on, on Blake Griffin this season. Without Chris Paul, I think he ups his assists. He's taking threes now. He looked spry in the first preseason game. I'm all in on Blake in the, uh, in the top 30, potential top 20 player this season. I also think Danilo Gallinari is being significantly underrated. The injury concern is real for him, but you can get him outside the top 75 in a lot of cases. And I think he has got top 50 upside for this season. The guard rotation is a, a bit uh, confusing at this point. I really like getting Milos Teodosic with a last pick. His ability to get assists is going to be super valuable. Yeah, there'll be some defensive struggles, but that's not really too much of a concern for us in fantasy. He can get steals, but those assists are going to be sweet. So getting him with one of your last two or three picks in a standard league is, so is solid to me. Well, I think Pat Beverly probably has overall the most value out of that guard quartet with uh, Lou Williams being a standard league guy as well and Austin Rivers being someone I would leave for deeper leagues. DeAndre Jordan, not too worried about his field goal percentage dipping without Chris Paul. It actually was higher without Chris Paul on the court last year than it was with him there. So I think Jordan is going to be fine, but only if you're looking to punt the free throw percentage category. Jordan, always hard to know what to do with fantasy with him. They added some really efficient players. Talking back to Pack again, which I understand is kind of a different way to look at things, but Lou Williams was a plus 1.2 Pack player. That puts him at a very, very high level. There aren't, you know, most guys are not above one. There's only about 50 of them, 60 of them in the league. And then Danilo Gallinari is above two. So they added two very, very high efficient players, efficiency players, uh, to take some of those possessions. They obviously lost J.J. Redick, and Blake's got to get a whole lot better than he was before. Austin 
Rivers was a negative pack player last year. If you increase his possessions, that's not good. But both Jamal Crawford and Raymond Felton were really negative burdens on that offense last year, and they're both gone. There's a chance this Clipper team takes less of a slip offensively than people are anticipating. The health of that team is probably the biggest issue involved with anyone. All right, let's go to the Memphis Grizzlies. Peter Edmondson host that show for us. The Grizzlies just kind of are hanging around. Are they being disregarded inappropriately? Let's see what Peter has to say. Hi there, this is Peter Edmiston with Locked on Grizzlies and your season preview for Locked on NBA and for the Grizzlies, it's going to be a strange season without Zach Randolph and Tony Allen. Both guys, of course, leaving in free agency. Zach Randolph going to Sacramento. Tony Allen heading to New Orleans, who coincidentally enough will be the opening night opponents for the Grizzlies. The identity of grit and grind, a lot of that came from Tony Allen and Zach Randolph. So the question for the Grizzlies is how do they pivot? How do they respond without those two guys? And it starts with Mike Conley and Mark Gasol. Both guys are going to be absolutely critical for the Grizzlies in this season. And both guys had really excellent off seasons. Mike Conley has come into camp uh, stronger, a little bit bigger, a lot more confidence after coming off of his best offensive season last year. Mark Gasol played uh, very well for Spain in Eurobasket, even though they fell in the semifinals to the eventual champions, Slovenia. Mark did suffer an ankle injury in that third-place game, incidentally, and he has not, uh, as of this recording, has uh, not been able to play in, in either preseason game for the Grizzlies, has been a little bit limited, but uh, not expected to be a huge problem. Those two guys have to be very good for the Grizzlies to have an opportunity to make the playoffs. And the third factor, really, from the Grizzlies in terms of personnel is Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons, uh, the signing last offseason to uh, much ballyhoo, max contract, four-year deal, year one, an absolute disaster in every way imaginable. Uh, Nothing really given from Chandler Parsons was never healthy, never felt right, never looked right, even when he played and was sort of mandated by management to play uh, as a starter. It was not something that ever really fit with any kind of uh, major regularity, and he just never looked right. So far, at least, in this preseason, he looks a little bit better, but he does not still, to me at least, look uh, like he's back towards anything approaching his form at the end of his career in Dallas when uh, he earned those max contracts that, that, that he ended up happening. So from... Memphis's point of view, watching Chandler Parsons is going to be key. Uh, and those guys all have to truly stay healthy because beyond those three, there are major, major questions for the rest of the, the roster. And it's a lot of questions about personnel, about young players stepping up, for example, in the Grizzlies. Uh, backup point guard spot appears to be heading in Mario Chalmers' direction, but uh, he's a guy coming off of an Achilles uh, tear. Didn't play last year, so how much can you get out of him? You don't know. Beyond that, it's still a question as to whether Wade Baldwin or Andrew Harrison will be the third guy. You would think that it would be Baldwin, who was a first-round draft pick um, just a season ago, but hasn't really impressed, and Harrison has looked like the the better player, at least, going forward. Uh, How will that manifest itself? At the two-guard spot where Tony Allen started for a long time, it looks like it's going to be Ben McLemore, but again, he is not healthy right now with a foot injury that he suffered in the uh, in the offseason. So uh, it's a little bit open. Looks like Wayne Selden has an opportunity to jump in there and earn that starting spot. He's a guy that played really well in summer league, but uh, how will that translate to regular season play? That's still very much an open question at this point. You've also got Tyreek Evans, who will spend some time there, likely off the bench, uh, but could start in a pinch for the Grizzlies. Troy Daniels was traded away to the Phoenix Suns. Um, log jam at that position. Young players also stepping up, and that's true really at the backup four, which is another spot of concern. You just don't know what the, the, that group is going to look like. Um, behind behind Mark and Jermichael Green, who was signed uh, about a week ago and is back in camp and, and everything is, is good to go with him, a two-year deal. Behind those guys, it was Zach Randolph last year. Now, a little bit up in the air. Brandon Wright has looked good. In preseason, and you would suspect that he will see uh, a lot more minutes this year. But Deontay Davis, the second round draft pick who resigned the richest second round contract in NBA history, uh, coming off of uh, kind of a uh, an up and down summer and has not looked great in camp 
and in preseason thus far. Uh, Ivan Rabb, uh, a young rookie who was a second-round pick, uh, is also a guy that they expect to see in a little bit of time. Jarrell Martin uh, is going to have to uh, step up too, but one of those guys is going to be cut, probably Martin, by the end of uh, end of camp. So that's a real question for the Grizzlies right now. The personnel, no real clue uh, who's going to really step up and be that uh, fourth big behind Brandon Wright uh, in in the rotation. And truthfully, the Grizzlies will probably play a fair bit of Chandler Parsons at the four spot as well because uh, that's a little easier for him. That's where he's played in the preseason thus far. It's a little bit easier for him with the lack of athleticism. He can play in that spot and not be exposed quite so much. Uh, in terms of rookies for the Grizzlies, uh, those are the guys that uh, will have to make an impact, although Dylan Brooks has looked pretty good in preseason, and I don't know how much he's going to play, but he has looked lively in preseason. A, a kid out of Oregon, second-round pick, uh, who can uh, who can shoot it and is been pretty disruptive defensively uh, early on in the preseason, which has been a little bit of a surprise, but but something that's that's useful for the Grizzlies. David Fisdale wants to play a much more uh, improvisational, up-tempo style. The Grizzlies tried to up the tempo last year, didn't really work with the personnel that they've got now. They've got a little better uh, feel for that and probably better people to run that. The question is, uh, will that work for this group? Will they find enough shooting to make it work. If they do, if they get some good shooting and good performance from Chandler Parsons, then they have an opportunity to slide into the bottom half of the Western Conference playoffs. If they don't, they could be easily eclipsed and they could find themselves in uh, 10th or 11th place in the West because, uh, as you know, and everyone who has talked on these previews knows, the bottom of the West has gotten so much more competitive. It could be a situation, I was talking with John Hollinger, the Grizzlies' executive vice president of basketball operations, and he, he kind of had flashbacks to the year that the Grizzlies had a 50-win season. Uh, this was, what, four years ago? And, and didn't clinch until uh, the next-to-last game. Didn't clinch a playoff spot. That was when Phoenix won 47 or 48 games and missed the playoffs. You could see a situation like that in the West. So for the Grizzlies, they have to find shooting. They have to be able to work this pace. They need to get spectacular efforts and healthy efforts from Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. Those guys have to play a lot of games and have to play very well because somebody's going to have to step up and be consistent for this group. If they can do that, then they've got opportunities um, to emerge in, in the West. If they don't, and if they can't, then uh, this team, the downside is, is is pretty severe. And they're one of the younger teams in the league. That's part of it, too. The downside is there for a young team if they don't step up and they don't continue to perform. So questions about youth, questions about age. Best case scenario, 40, probably seven wins for this team. Worst case scenario, in the low 30s. Uh, I'll, I'll go in the middle, and I think the Grizzlies are probably uh, about a 39-win team this year, and uh, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I just think too many of those questions are going to have answers that aren't going to work out in a very competitive Western Conference. Thanks so much for listening to the Grizzlies preview here on Locked on NBA and listening to Locked on Grizzlies uh, when you can. I'd uh, love to hear from you. Again, this is Peter Edmiston. Thank you so much for listening. Peter is another one of our really, really smart hosts. I, I learned a lot listening to the- his show. I mentioned Adam's show. These guys do Luke's show. Uh, Harris and Anthony have a great time. These guys do great work. Ben DeBose on Lockdown Rockets. Really, big stories breaking. you got to go to these guys on their shows and find out what's going on with their teams because they nail it and have great insight. Let's find out from Josh Lloyd what he thinks about Memphis from a fantasy standpoint. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball talking about the Grizzlies now. I think that Mike Conley and Marc Gasol are pretty strong end of the second round, start of the third round type guys, with Gasol getting a little bit of a bump because of the dearth of quality centers. He's going to have to up his rebounding a little bit this season without Zach Randolph, but he provides really good across the board value. While Mike Conley is getting a little bit underrated, I think, in fantasy circles, and he can easily be a top 25 player this season. Jermichael Green, Tyreek Evans, and Chandler Parsons, they, are, they represent really good value with late picks. You can get them all outside the top 110, especially Parsons and Tyreek, who we know we're dealing with injury concerns, but taking those guys with your last selection, there aren't many players that you can draft in that spot who legitimately have top 50 upside if they can stay healthy. It's a big risk, but if that does pan out, that could very well be the move that makes you win your fantasy league. An hour six into the podcast, and we've knocked off the Mavericks, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Clippers, and the Grizzlies will stop here and we'll give you Minnesota along with Sacramento, San Antonio, New Orleans, OKC, Phoenix, Portland, Utah, and Golden State next week and the Eastern Conference Part 2 next week as well. If you missed Eastern Conference Part 1, make sure you go grab it on Lockdown NBA. Today's show brought to you by SeatGeek. Promo code LOCKED gets you $20 off as well as Warby Parker. Love Warby Parker. Here, it's right here. 
That's my case. I'm not even making that up right in front of me. WarbyParker.com slash locked. WarbyParker.com slash locked. And you get your home try-on. Enjoy it. Make sure you uh, find out the great value of what you get with the home try-on from Warby Parker. All right, thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks for the five stars. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite team's Locked On podcast. This has been Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's fall at JCPenney. Time to refresh your closet. This Thursday through Monday, get Levi's lowest prices of the season on 514 straight fit jeans for guys, $36.99. And select Arizona booties for her for $35.99. Plus, save an additional 50% off clearance prices already reduced by 60 to 80%. And get an extra $10 off with your coupon. Hurry in now. JCPenney. Come valid 10, 5 to 10, 9. Levi's and other brands excluded from coupon. Clearance selections vary by store while supplies last. Savings off regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. See store or jcp.com for details. Season of first 927 to 1018.